morning. Look at somebody and say, it's good to see you. Now look back at them and say, it's good to see me too, all right? Hey, we're so glad that you're here. Welcome to Crossroads Church. For those of you who don't know, my name's Sam. I have the great privilege of being the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church. And what that means is every single week, I try to tell the greatest story ever told. Now, not because I'm some great communicator or it's even my story, but I believe this story is a story about Jesus. And Jesus is the greatest person to ever walk the face of the planet. I actually believe he's more than just a person. I believe he's God in the flesh. And so if you've ever asked the question, what is God like? You don't have to look any further than the person of Jesus. And we believe the Bible is this story about Jesus. We say this around here. We say it's all about We wrote it on the wall if you need some help. And what that means is you're going to need a Bible to follow along. And so uh, if you need a Bible, you can just slip up your hand and one of our ushers will get one to you. If you don't have a Bible, uh, that's our gift to you. Take that, read it every single day because every time you read the Bible, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen? Three of you think that? I got to do better at my job, right? And every time you read the Bible, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen? Amen. That's much better. Hey, uh, I want you to turn in your Bible to the book of Ephesians. And if you're new to the Bible, that's perfectly fine. Many of us are. And so you can just start in the right and turn left and you'll find this small book because the Bible is a collection of books. It's not just one book. It's actually 66 books put together. It's actually a library of books. And so if you find this epistle, a letter that the apostle Paul wrote to this uh, group of people that was in the city of Ephesus in modern day Turkey, and we're going to find Ephesians and we're going to look at chapter 4, starting in verse 17. We've been there for many uh, weeks now, and we're journeying along. I'll give you some a little context and catch you up just a bit, but if you're watching on our online campus, we're so glad that you are joining us. If you're local, we just want to extend an invite to you. Get here in person because life is simply better together. Amen. Uh, usually our Lompoc campus uh, is streamed live. The sermon is usually streamed there, and so I'm usually interacting with the Lompoc campus. There's a group of people that gather every single week at 213 North J Street. We have a campus there with one church in a couple locations, uh, but today Pastor Tyler's speaking live there, and there's multiple people there uh, getting baptized, and so wasn't that amazing today at both campuses? God is doing great stuff uh, in our region for his glory and the good of our community. Amen? Hey, look at Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 17. You can say amen when you're there. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, uh, to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you've heard about him and you were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. If people go, Pastor Sam, you shouldn't be so sarcastic when you preach. You're going to have to deal with the Bible. Amen. And yet he says, assuming that you've heard of Christ, this is not uh, what you learned. Assuming that you have heard and you've been taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off the old self, which belongs to the former manner of life, 
and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. 25, therefore, when you see this in the text, therefore, because of everything he just said, don't live this way. Put off the old self. Do not live in this matter. Don't live in the dark. Don't pitch your tent in the dark. Do not live there. Move towards the light. Therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. You don't want to underline that, put an asterisk beside of it. Put away all falsehoods, speak the truth with your neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity for the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with everyone in need. Let no corrupt, corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. He encaps with the gospel. Here's why. Here's how you're not living. Here's why we should live this way because Christ has forgiven us. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for who you are and who you are to us. We ask for your grace that you would help us today. You would encourage us. We thank you for this text that Many around the globe for thousands of years have been looking at and pondering, being challenged, exhorted by, encouraged by. We thank you today that we would think about who we were, and we're not yet who we want to be. So help us to pursue you, change us by your grace and your power. In Jesus' name, and everybody said... Amen. Let me try to catch you up in, in the best way uh, that I can. And for those of you who are maybe visiting uh, with us, uh, as you can tell, I'm not from around here. All right, all right, all right. And so this story may seem strange when I say the other day I was in, in the water and I was surfing with a buddy of mine. And you're like, that just does, I don't know if that I believe that. I have witnesses. And... Uh, and they have the same reaction when I'm in the water. And the reality is I could cook or kill it. I'm made in Kentucky. And uh, when I get a good wave and someone hears my accent, they're like, what are you doing here? Right? And, and, and so the other day I was, I was in the water. It was a, it was a, a fascinating kind of uh, moment for me because I, I told you last week, man, my personality is very aggressive. And, and I'm always kind of, kind of uh, uh, a moment away from a conference. And my wife says it's like walking a pit bull through a crowd. He looks cute, but don't pet him, right? And, uh, 
And that's who I'm like, I'm close to that. And the reality is I didn't grow up surfing, so I have no reason or ability to get aggro in the water, man. I'm just thankful that some of my buddies who are rippers let me hang out with them. And some of my best waves are like, hey, Sam, you can take this one. And, uh, and so the other day I was in the water with a friend and there, I like, you know, I've been here for some time and I feel good when like a local guy knows my name and he's like, hey, Sam. And he's this guy who lives up the coast and, and we were surfing Halama Beach the other day and, and it's about that time where he's starting to learn my name and he was kind of curious about what I do and he's like, hey, you know, wh- what do you do again? And I was like, well, you know, I'm, a, I'm a pastor. He's like, yeah, okay, I thought I saw you fighting that guy earlier on the beach and uh, <laughs> were, you, were you yelling at someone earlier? And, uh, and so he's, he's like, oh, oh yeah. And, and you can tell, like, that's always an interesting thing, a dynamic when, when people hear that. And first of all, they do not believe me. Uh, really? Like, there are people there? Like, uh, and, and so I'm like, no, no, yeah, I'm a pastor. And, and, and he's just trying to create conversation. And my other buddy who's a believer was in the water with us. And he goes, hey, you know, uh, is there a church up my way, up, up the coast? Is, is there a church close by that you re- recommend? And I think it was his way of just getting the conversation going. He didn't he really know how to, to, to bridge this conversation with this pastor. And it seemed like he wanted to chat. It seemed like something was going on in his life. And he, he began to say, like, hey, is, is there a church? My, one of my renters is looking for a church. And... Like, oh, yeah. And, and we keep the cover. And then he paddles up close to me and he, he asks this question. He goes, he goes what, uh, the people that come to your church, what are most of them like struggling with? Like, what's their issue? And now many of you are looking around like, is he going to tell on me? Right? <laughs> <laughs> They're like, what, what's, your, what's your thing? And, and, and I'm thinking, all right, how do I, friend, like he's clearly wanting to have a conversation. He doesn't know how to do it. And clearly something's going on his life. And I, I said, man, it's all over the place. And we have a couple campuses and people in different areas deal with different stuff. And we have people dealing with addiction and, and we have people who are coming out of, into recovery. We, we have some people that are affluent and, and they have everything that they want at their fingertips and, and yet they still feel empty and they're wrestling with big questions and there's things in their hearts. I mean, they can have anything and do anything and they've been taught Christianity was a crutch, but yet they're still drawn and they're trying to figure out what does that look like and what's their place with their gift and their station of life. And, and it seems like none of those things are kind of hitting, but I, but I say this, I go, then we have like the good old boys. How many good old boys have we got in here today? We got some good old boys that, that have been trying to do right. Like they got an ethic and a morality to them. And they have for a long time. They've been trying to do the right thing for most of their life. But the problem is like all of us, none of us can be good enough. And so what happens is, is, is they're dealing with the guilt of their lives. They've been trying to be one of the good ones, but they've stumbled along the way. And what the enemy comes in and does is try to convince us that the issue that we're facing in our life, whatever drama, whatever situation, whatever relationship issue, whatever financial issue that we have, the enemy will come in and say, the reason why this is happening is because of your sin. And all of a sudden, we'll begin to develop almost a doctrine that feels like karma. Where you go, man, you're paying for this. 
And there are people in our churches that, that, that we're trying to convince, let me share the gospel with you. And, and we just ha- happen to be in Ephesians and I'm teaching. And let me use this story to help you. Last week we talked about how there are teachers and leaders in order to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Maybe you find yourself in the water having a conversation. Maybe you find yourself by the water cooler. Maybe you find yourself on the job, on the lumber yard. Maybe you find yourself in the conference room. Maybe the cubicle next to you. And you find yourself and you're trying to articulate what this whole Christianity thing is. And I go, here's the idea is Christianity is not just moralism. It's not just the God of the good and the do good and try to be good. It actually tells us this story that none of us can live up to that standard, that there's only one who was good. And I trust him that he came and lived and died in my place and took the penalty for my sin. What does that mean, Pastor? It means that God is actually just. There was actually a payment for my sin. That that it wasn't that God was just, just willy-nilly and overly compassionate and just a pushover. It was like, I know you did some bad things, but it's okay. It's actual justice and actual love and mercy intertwined for all of eternity. At the cross of Jesus Christ, this is the place where we see the love and justice of God. God is actually just. There is a payment for sin. And he is actually merciful and gracious. And he pardons us because of his goodness. Here's a profoundly theological statement. You're going to want to write this down. God does not save you because you're awesome. He saves you because he's awesome. Amen. Amen. This is, oh, you can do better than that. Amen. Amen. That's good news. And so what happens is, is, is you're trying to believe that and trust that, and yet the enemy will come in and use that. And faith in Jesus Christ is the moment the enemy, even as a believer, if you've been following Jesus for some time, the enemy will still slip in and go, that, that thing that's happening right now is because of what you did the other day. It's because of that slander. It's because of that gossip. It was because of that lustful look. It was because you didn't do this and you didn't give and you weren't generous and you were mean. And he begins to accuse you and convince you that you will pay. And faith in Jesus Christ is the actual belief that you're able to silence the voice of the enemy. And you are able to say and believe from the bottom of your heart that my sin has been dealt with. The payment has been paid and I trust him and therefore I'm set free to live. The curse of sin is broken and your love has spoken life to me. This is what Ephesians begins to lay out. Chapters one, two, and three. In chapter two, he begins to say, we all were dead in our trespasses and sin, but it was because of his grace, unmerited, undeserved favor with God. And so maybe you thought Christianity was about coming in and man, get it right or pay the price. The reality is, is he got it right. He paid the price. And therefore I get to live righteously as he lives and enables me. 
He sets me free so I can live out that design. As I was in the water with my friend, I began to take this big idea, this sermon that, that is complex, and we got to, uh, to, to kind of uh, break apart and break open and kind of uh, begin to teach and slow down and help us understand in the water, this is what it sounded like. It's this idea, man, that I actually believe Christ forgives me because he paid my debt. And so when the enemy comes up and says there are things in my life, relationship issues, sickness, a diagnosis, that when the enemy says this is because of you, I can actually believe that I'm free from guilt and shame and I'm free to actually live. And then he says this, he goes, but that doesn't mean you just keep on sinning. I was like, you're preaching my sermon. Right? He, he actually, something inside of him in the water was like, but that doesn't mean that you get out a jail free card, get out a hell free card, no payment for my sin. God trades and then I live however I want to live. And I go, no, exactly. Because anyone who's ever received a good gift responds to that gift. And you, you, you may have heard this line. I got to use it in the water. I was like, you know what it's like. A kid on Christmas morning, he gets a PlayStation 75. Right, and his parent, he opens it up, and he's like, <laughs> I love you, oh my God. Right, how many, how many, uh, how many of you uh, know what it's like, uh, and you see a 16-year-old, and you just bought him a new car? Don't buy him a new one, okay? Don't do that, sorry. Right, like, uh, I'm trying, I guess. <laughs> sorry, buy, buy him a great used one down the street, couple of days. And, and the reality is, is when you see a, someone receive a gift like that, they walk out, they're like, oh, thank you. Thank you so much. I'm going to clean my room every day. It's never going like to, like, they start responding. Anything they can do, they're trying, trying just like, I want to respond. And, and they forget about that response maybe a week later, right? <laughs> but see, the response indicates the value of the gift. The greater the response is the greater indicator of the value of the gift. Well, the Bible describes grace as a gift. And when you actually believe you're forgiven, you actually believe that there's no more earnest expectation of judgment and punishment. I don't live waiting, God, I don't know when I stand before God, how is he going to deal with me? I actually trust that he's already dealt with it and I can confidently stand before and long await to stand before Jesus and say thank you for the grace that you've given me and how you've pardoned me. Fix every broken thing. Take everything that's been, been wrong in my life. Take every broken piece. Take everything that's went astray and set it just right. We long for that awaited day. See, the response indicates the value of the gift. And I said to him in the water, I said, when, when people actually believe they've been forgiven, they actually respond to this. They actually live towards what God's done for them. And he, it began to click for me. And I go, they begin to live the way they were designed to live. Now, here's the thing that I want to put in front of us. And we've been talking about this. And I shared this with this guy on that day. I said, the word sin in the Hebrew is the word kata, which which is like a, an archer's arrow, and it's, it means to miss the mark. 
It, it means that I have a target inside. I have a design and a point for this arrow to go. But sin is to miss the mark. It's a deviation from design. If you were to say, what is sin? Sin is a deviation from the way you were designed to work. The things in you that go, that ought not be. That's not how relationships work. That's not how marriage works. That's not how money works. This is not any deviation from that is sin. And so then the caricature is this, that what Christianity is trying to keep us from is joy and goodness. Like, like Christians are a bunch of killjoys. You ever met them? Right? Like, they, they, they're just, don't do it. Don't look at it. Don't taste it. Don't touch it. Don't go bowling. Right? You know, uh, like, like no fun, uh, like an eternal killjoy in the sky who's out to keep you from, but that's not it at all. He's trying to keep you from a place of disaster. He's trying to keep you from going off course. See, these small sins, the little things that easily set us back. See, an arrow at a short distance, the aim isn't as, as important. It gets there much faster, and a small miss is not a big thing over a short distance. But stretch out that miss over a lifetime. Stretch out this problem, this deviation, this relationship thing, this money issue, this immorality, stretch it out over a lifetime, stretch it out over generations, stretch it out, pass it down, give it to your children and your grandchildren. Watch what happens when a culture deviates from the way they were designed to work and what you will see is chaos ensuing. Sin is a deviation from the way you were designed to work. I looked at him, I said, you ever get on a surfboard and it just works? Right? You get on something that's designed to work. You get on something that doesn't work, but you get on something that actually, this is how this thing was designed. You get in a car and you rev the engine. You go, man, whoa, right? Like this is how this was designed to work. And when you're living into design, it doesn't keep you from life. It actually sets you out on the greatest adventure that life has to offer. See, God is not trying to keep you. He's not trying to keep you from good things. He's trying to keep you from harm and set you on a course for you to live into the design of how you were to work. And he's broken the curse of sin so that you can live. The reality is that sin keeps us trapped. It, it, It puts us in a place where we're a slave to it. And the thing we want to do is not what we do. The thing we hate, that's what we do. Praise be to God who has set us free from the law of sin and death, who set us on a resurrected course of new life. This is where we are in chapter four, where he says, by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, but you've been handcrafted. You've been designed to work a certain way in order for you to do good works prepared in advance. That's chapter two, one through 10. And he builds this argument all the way to this point. He says, so then, no longer live in a darkened mind. No longer allow your heart to continue to be callous and live a certain way. He begins to give a contrast of an old life and a new life. 
chapter 4, verse 17, he says, now, listen, I don't want you to walk as the Gentiles do. And when he uses this word Gentile, what he's saying is, is those who have no care or for concern for God. Man, even our pop culture, if you were to listen to the most famous podcast and for the, in the world, and for the sake of discretion, we'll just call this podcaster's name Joe. And... Uh, and if you were to listen at any point in time, there's, there's spots and guests, even people who have a most secular view, and some of the things they talk about, and they're like, man, are you kidding me? Are you want to put your trust, and you think, man, aliens, somehow got us here, and there's a multi-universe and string theory, like, you're so trying not to infer that there's intelligent design and a God and something behind everything, because everybody knows that no thing cannot come from nothing. And so they'll even say, and they'll go, man, you know what the problem is? They'll have secular people. You know what the problem? People don't go to church. People don't have a moral scaffolding. People, you know what the problem? When you look at society and go, man, people are just gone awry. People have gone astray. There's chaos ensuing, and they have no framework in that. He's saying this is what the Gentiles were like. It was this God and this statue. No, no, no set moral ethic. It was believe what you want. It doesn't matter what you believe. You can believe anything you want and create your own morality. You can do whatever you want. This is not a new conversation. This is an ancient old conversation. This was the culture of Ephesus as they worshiped idols and any statue and any form or deal. And what happens is human relationships in the community is breaking down and people are realizing, man, I don't think, I don't think you could just do whatever you want. I think we're held accountable to something else. I think that you're actually designed with purpose. You go, Pastor Sam, I don't know if I believe that. If you don't believe that, then why are there so many New York Times bestsellers on purpose? It seems like so many people are talking about purpose and meaning. Where does this meaning come from? Man, a, a tree is a tree until you put it in an architectural design. A rock is a rock until you have a landscaper who wants to put it in a certain place. It has no meaning until a designer gets a hold of it. It's just an inanimate object. You're, you're just some type of being floating through space and you have no meaning and no purpose or do you actually feel deep inside there has to be more and I felt like I was built for more. And, there's, and I know when I ought to do something and when I ought not do something. I know when I shouldn't have said that and when I should have said that. I know when I should have been kind and I was there. All of those, the Christian theologian by the name of C.S. Lewis would talk about the law in nature, something in us beginning to point to a law giver. Where does this moral standard come from? And here's what he's saying in the first part. He's saying there are some who just live any way they want, and then they begin to create and pursue all types of evil. Can I tell you that evil is real? And there are people who have given themselves over to the dark recesses of their minds, and they've gone callous, like fingers that have gone callous to the strings on a guitar. They can't quite feel it anymore. They've done the act so much so that now what would be painful to watch, what would be painful to see. There are people who do all kinds of evil. And you have to say, and he says, no, not with you. 
This is not how you learned Christ. This is not you assuming you've heard of Christ. Because the reality is, if you have heard of him, you're not just looking for a a way out of jail. You're not just looking to get away scot-free. If you have heard of Christ, then you will live to the new way of life. And this new way of life is actually the way you were intended to live. It's actually the way life was designed to live. He goes on and says, be renewed, putting off the old self and living to the new. Man, if you were to ask a Christian who's been around for some time, they'll tell you whether or not they've been following Jesus for 40 years, 50 years. Mark Thompson's in here, it's like 60 years, right? Uh, And uh, he's a lot bigger than me, but I'm faster. And uh, right, Like, like you've been following Jesus a long time. They will tell you that they are hyper aware that there are two, two selves living inside of them. There are two yous that live inside of you. You're aware of it. Man, don't let any Christian try to convince you that when they started following Jesus, they just had no problems and they were able to live. No, 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 no. They're just now even more aware of the old them and the new them. That's what they're aware of. And what he's beginning to say, don't live towards one, pursue the other. See, Christianity is not staying out of the dark. Christianity is running towards the light. If you have a sin issue, if you have a problem that you're trying to, you have an addiction problem, you have something that you can't, stop trying not to and start doing what God has called you to do. See, he's gonna say, therefore, and then he's gonna begin to zoom in and live into some practical things. And that's what I wanna begin to try to help us understand. Before I do, this is one of, one of the final things that I, I said to that, that guy in the water, is I said, Christianity is about pursuing something. It is this response. I mean, think of it this way. When you think about how you were designed to live, you know, the new adage is this, that we weren't designed for monogamy. We were designed to have multiple sexual pro- partners. We were meant to sleep around and, and just allow our desires to consume whoever and whenever. Ask somebody who's actually lived that life. And ask them if they feel whole. Ask them if they feel like that's how they were designed to live. See, w- when you go, no, no, God's designed you for Love and intimacy with one person. And God's uniquely designed us, male and female, together for the flourishing of our society. This is design. Anything outside of that is a deviation from that design. So then, how do I live into what God's called me to do? See, see, it's not about trying not to cheat on your spouse. It's not trying not, and this is what I said, it's not trying not to cheat on your wife. It's pursuing your wife with love and grace and goodness and serving her and wooing her and loving her and you won't have time. You will then, you will then embrace her. All of a sudden you will be satisfied because God has given the gift of sexual intimacy and the gift of marriage and you won't look anywhere else. It's not trying not to. It's actually a pursuit. That's the way Christianity works. 
It's not trying not to do something. It's actually moving. See, Christians have been so guilty of telling everyone what we're against and not actually what we're for. And he says, no, no, no. Don't just think about living to the old way of life. It's actually putting on the new. It's pursuing something. And so here's what he does. He begins to zero that in. See, we've been talking about the big picture. We've been talking about the world. We've been talking about all the evil in the world. And we've been talking about sin as a general concept. And then he begins to take the ripple effect down to you personally. I want you to look at verse 25. It says, therefore, Having put away falsehoods, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. All of a sudden, he takes it from this kind of big conversation. And sometimes I can live up there and think through those ideas. I'm an idea guy. And then I get lost in the details. I don't want any of the details. If you work with me, I'm like, I don't care how we're going to do it. Like we're baptizing. They're like, how do you want to do that? I don't know. We're just, people are going to get wet on Sunday, right? Like I get like, but yet the Bible doesn't leave it there. It's not just an idea. And see, here's what we have to do as a community of faith as we think about the world, see, sometimes we get focused on the world and it's easily to point figures, to get, to get on the bottomless pit that is social media and just be like, yep, world's going to hell. I'm going to bed. Right? Like, you're just, what's wrong? You know, you're just mad and frustrated. And yet what he does, he doesn't leave you getting able to point at the rest of the world. Because here's what you got to realize And sometimes it's to scale. The same things that you're frustrated with the world is oftentimes, if you look in the mirror, the same thing you'll be frustrated with yourself about. And you realize, man, I gotta gotta look in the mirror. Jesus says, man, don't worry about the, the speck in your brother's eye until you deal with the plank in your own. All of a sudden he goes, yeah, there's there's evil people living any way they want. Many of us in here, let's be honest, we're like, yeah, man, I'm telling them, man, I'm getting angry, and they're coming after my kids, and, and they're preaching this, and they're doing this, and all oh, the world's going chaotic. And yet, you're not being honest with your neighbor about the issues that you have. He says, put away off, put away falsehoods. See, personality is a persona. Right, personality is the mask that we wear. It's a falsehood. Sometimes, man, well, that, well that's, that's not really my personality to, to go and have a conversation with someone because of something that's bothering me. Then take off the mask, put away falsehoods. Don't lean into your Myers-Briggs and your Enneagram. And go, that's just not me. The truth of the scriptures transcend above any other philosophy of the world, Amen. So you go, man, I don't know that. I, here's what he begins to say practically. He goes, this is where it starts. You want to look at the world? Stop looking at the world and start looking at yourself in the mirror. And take off the mask and be honest with yourself and be honest with your neighbor. Be honest with your spouse. Be honest with your husband. Be honest with your wife because this is where I begin to heal. James says it this way, confess your faults one to another that you might be healed. See, oftentimes I'm convinced that forgiveness is upward and healing is side by side. 
And I gotta confess, I gotta tell you that this bothered me. Therefore, put away all falsehood. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. What he begins to say is this. If you have something against someone, don't just fake it. It's not about niceties and pageantries. It's going, hey, when you said that, you offended me. Hey, when you said that, you hurt me. You know, I find it so interesting that that when we take away from pointing the finger, you did this to actually, let me tell you how that affected me. Let me tell you, let me be humble for a minute. I'm not gonna accuse you. I'm gonna make you aware of how this affected me. And I'm here. Matthew 18 says, if you have an offense against your brother, it's your responsibility to go to them and tell them. Let me just, let me just pause for a moment and give some, give some marital advice. Are you ready? Horrible response. <laughs> are, you, are, you, are you ready? Right, so you're like, I've been married longer than you've been alive, son. Right? Here, here, I wrote a blog years ago, and, and, and uh, the title of the blog was called Don't Tell Mom. Can I tell you that that went over horrible with my mother-in-law? <laughs> like, this is one thing that when I sit with people in, in premarital counseling, here's what I say. The Bible says that the, the, uh, that the man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife. Listen, marriage is about two people. Get your in-laws out of it. Amen. <laughs> Some of you are like, they're in the room, bro. <laughs> they're here. Right? And I would say, and you can just see the, 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 the daughter would be like, listen, listen, here's what I want you to do. When you guys are in the middle of a fight, in an argument, don't tell mom. You're like, what? No, don't tell mom. I go, because he, here, here's the reality. You're meant to have a conversation with your spouse. Like sometimes we, we, we separate the verses in the Bible about friendship and marriage, and, and marriage is the greatest friendship that we have, amen? Bro, this was your time to say amen. <laughs> right? This, this is this great. And here's what, what happens. I think oftentimes we do this thing called venting. You ever heard of it? <laughs> I'm just venting. I'm not gossiping about my husband. I'm just venting. Right, And so then you just relieve this pressure and you never focus it to the place where you actually have to deal with it. And so what I would say is, listen, don't tell mom. Don't tell, because you'll go into all the detail. You should have seen how he looked at me. You, mom, you wouldn't believe how he talked to me. I, I can't believe he was angry and, and he was this. And, and then here's what I tell him. I go, if you want to tell him every detail about the blow up, you have to tell him every detail about the makeup. What? You should have seen how he looked at me, mom. <laughs> right now. No. Right? I go, no, no, no. Because here's the reality. God has given, husband's wife, God has given you the gift of sexual intimacy, which is the soothing salve of the soul. Love covers a multitude of sin. And man, there's a place, there's a bedroom, there's a bed, there's a place for husbands and wives to have healing. Somebody should say amen to that, <laughs> right? But let me tell you, God's not trying to keep you from evil. He's trying to pursue you towards goodness. So here, here's what's at. 
is, is you actually then will, if you don't tell mom, you don't tell the cousin, you don't tell your sister, and you don't tell this, you'll actually have to speak the truth with your spouse. And then it goes on and says, so then be angry, but do not sin. See, anger has a place. I've had conversations, and there's, there's a culture now that says, no, anger is a symptom of toxic max masculinity. No, anger is a sign of righteous indignation. Something is not right. Listen, something, someone does something to your kids, you're angry. When people say, I could never believe in a God who would be angry and wrathful, I could never believe in a God who could not be who was not actually indignant and wrathful towards evil, especially those who would hurt his children. I could never believe in a God who did not actually have a place like hell for wicked people who do atrocities to the innocent. I could never believe in that. You don't believe in that because you're not wired that way. You're made in the likeness and image of God. God gets angry, but God does not sin. So then, be angry. Eugene Peterson in the message Bible would say, you do well to be angry. Man, and can I be honest? Many of us need to address that we are constantly angry with the world around us. Let me remind you, be angry. Do not sin. Do not sin. Don't let your the sun go down on your anger. Anger has a place. That place for anger is in righteousness. It's in the path of righteousness. It's how you speak. It's how you act. It's how you enter. Well, I was just angry. And you don't get a pass. You're actually, you embrace the Holy Spirit of God and his workings. You say, God, let me be righteously angry. Let me, do what, let me do my due diligence and let me put away the mask and falsehood. But here's what you'll realize in, in, the, in, in the context of interpersonal relationships, in the context of your family, in the context of your marriage, if you'll deal with it early and often, you won't get to that point of anger. If you started to learn to be honest up front with your spouse and it didn't take two weeks for you to tell them. And when you were angry, you didn't allow the sun to go down on your anger. Anger has a place and anger has a time. Anger has a place and it is in righteousness. Anger has a time and it is today. Oh, that's good preaching. Thank you, Pastor Sam. <laughs> Anger's place is today, not tomorrow. Let me say it. Let it pierce your heart. Anger has a place and it's not tomorrow. It's right now. So if you're angry, if you need to deal with something, don't allow the, the sun to go down. The sun, the, the, the Jewish day would start at sundown. So it was the next day. So when he says, don't allow your sun, the sun to go down on your anger, he's saying, don't let it go into tomorrow. Deal with it right now. You go, Pastor, I, I can't do that. It's not my personality. This is how you were designed to work. And if you'll just live into that, watch what will happen when you actually hear, listen, and do what the word of God actually tells you. I'm gonna tell you, your marriage will get better. Your friendships will get better. If you actually call them early and off, say, hey man, I gotta bring something up with you. I love you, but I just gotta tell you. 
And all of a sudden you realize joy and peace is your story, not bitterness and wrath and malice and anger. He goes on to say, listen, this is the reality. This is what it means to pursue the light. So then he uses, says, listen, allow the thief no longer to steal. Why does he use the thief? Because they, they lurk in the dark. They, they, they move in dark places. Be careful. He says, don't allow any corrupting talk to come out of your mouth. See, here's what I'm convinced of is that when you don't deal with the people that you're actually angry with, all of a sudden corrupting talk is what happens at the water cooler. Corrupting talk is what happens in the conference room. Corrupting talk is what happens in the, in the parking lot and in the side rooms. This is why, because you are not willing to put away falsehoods and actually speak the truth with your neighbor, you'll walk out of the meeting and you'll, you'll grab someone's ear and you go, can you believe them? And you'll sow even more dissension and disunity amongst them. But if you would just be honest, you go, I don't want to be the jerk in the room. Well, you're going to be the jerk in the parking lot. And you could do more damage out there than if you actually looked at somebody and said, hey, no, 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 I gotta be honest with you, man. I gotta be honest with you. And you cultivated that with your friends, your family, your children. Then we wouldn't have to worry about Christians being guilty of gossip and slander because we wanna be nice to their face because we think nice is a personality. We think humility is a personality. We think humility is quiet and soft-spoken. And yet they can be prideful and judgmental and just not say it to your face and say it behind your back. And so friend, be careful. He says, listen, let me show you what this new life looks like. He sums it up by saying, let all bitterness and wrath and slander be put away. With all malice, be kind to one another. What a concept. Actual kindness, not saving face and putting on a mask. Actual kindness. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another. Why? You've been forgiven. Why should you forgive each other? Do you know you? Be tender-hearted, kind to one another. He anchors it in the gospel. See, the gospel is the key. You've been forgiven. And by the power of the Spirit, he set you free from sin. You don't have to live in anger and malice. You don't have to live in corrupting talk. You can actually be honest. Man, what a way. See, lies and darkness, it stresses out guilt. We don't want to deal with that person. We avoid that person, man, because I was just talking about them in the other room. It's like, hey, Bill. Sorry for anybody named Bill on this side of the room. And, hey, Jim. Cindy. And we'll avoid it. But we don't have to do that. Actual love and goodness and kindness and tenderheartedness. Here's the big picture. Ephesians 2 says, You were once dead in your trespasses and sin in which you once walked. That's how you lived. Let me just say this, because I know my congregation and I know who's here. If you're constantly angry with the other side, if you're constantly anger, angry with people who you disagree with, 
if you're constantly angry at the world, you will never actually be kind and tenderhearted because you do not want to forget that it is the love of God that draws people to Jesus. If you're constantly ticked off and frustrated, it shows. And no one wants to be a part of that. But the church of Jesus Christ is different. It's different than the political sides that foster anger towards the other side. Both are guilty of it. Both are saying, man, you know what's wrong? They're what's wrong. You know what's wrong? They're what's wrong. Come with us. You can be angry too. But the church of Jesus Christ is full of joy and peace and goodness and the Holy Ghost. And people go, man, what do they got? Don't they know the world's going to hell in a handbasket? Why are they so happy? Jesus. Why are they full of grace and goodness? Jesus. You know how to change your marriage? Jesus. You know how to change your family? Jesus. You know how to change your neighborhood? You're starting to get it. You know how to change this valley? Jesus. You know how to change this state? Jesus. This country, this world, there is only one hope, and his name is Jesus. And for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish. Get the message out. Do away with your anger. Love. Forgive because you've been loved and you've been forgiven. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, you are good and you are good to us. I ask for your grace that you would help us. I thank you for that that brother who was in the water the other day who's looking for a place. I pray that you draw him here. I pray that you help him to realize no matter what issues he's going through that you love him and that you long to forgive him of his sins. You're not trying to punish him. You're trying to move him towards the way you've designed him to live. Let that be our story. Help us that that's how we communicate. That as the people of God, we're not pointing fingers and say, you ought not and get it right or pay the price. But we say, listen, you were designed to live different. You were designed for hope. You were designed for peace. You were designed for love and joy. And that's found in the person of Jesus. Let that be our story. Write it on our hearts. Let the world see our good works. Glorify our God who is in heaven. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Will you give Jesus one more hand clap of praise?